It's a matter of fact, isn't it, that a society without justice can't last. A society without justice can't last, at least not long. Take that most smallest of all societies, the human family. If the children are always saying, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, and the dad is always saying, okay, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, that family can go on like that for a while, but it can't last, can it? It can't last to have no justice, to have no fairness. Eventually, dad has to step in and say, listen, five-year-old Timmy, you have to go to bed. (laughs) And you don't get to go to bed at the same time as your 12-year-old brother. That's not fair. If the children run the show, eventually the whole household is going to crumble. And what's true about the smallest society, that one that God created there in the Garden of Eden, a family, is also true about bigger societies about the society that we live in. If there is no justice, if there is no justice, eventually things implode, or maybe they explode, either way. Either things fall apart, and even though the society continues on, it doesn't really flourish, or they explode, right? Things explode in violence. Violence breaks out, and nothing can bring it back together. Justice matters, doesn't it? A society without it can't last, at least Not long, anyways. This is what makes all of those Western movies so great. There's an outlaw and there's a sheriff. There's an outlaw and there's a judge. And usually in the stories, it's the judge who ends up winning the day. He imposes law and order on the old Wild West. This is why Tombstone is so great. This is why Clint Eastwood is so wonderful, because they brought justice to the West. And imagine if they hadn't. When I was a kid, I, of, I often kind of sided with the gunslingers, right? They were exciting. They were fun. But could you really live in a society like that? Could you really live? Could anyone flourish? Sure, we could exist like that. We could exist just making our way by the strength of our own arms, by the strength of the guns in our holsters. But I think we'd all agree society couldn't flourish like that. Justice needs to come in. If there is no justice, things will either implode or they will explode. And that's true also in the church, by the way. It's not the main point this morning, but a congregation that doesn't have order, a congregation where anything goes, eventually just kind of disintegrates. Now, why bring all of that up? Because Christ's parable of judgment, this wonderful parable, almost not even really a parable, right? This promise of judgment, promises that, in fact, justice will rule. And not just any justice, right? There's lots of people who cry out for justice without ever defining that term. They're like children, right? When the seven-year-old says to his dad, it's not fair, does he really think about justice? No. He just thinks, I don't like what's going on. I want three pieces of candy, not two pieces of candy. It's not fair. The promise in our gospel this morning is that justice will, in fact, come, and it won't be a seven-year-old crying out for more candy. It won't be a 12-year-old protesting that mom and dad said he had to come home too early. It won't even be, it won't even be our own private interpretations of the law. No, on the last day, here is the promise hidden and proclaimed in this wonderful parable that Christ's justice His pure and perfect justice will, in fact, rule. 
That is the promise that I want you to take home with you today. That is the promise that each of us needs to hear because without that promise, without that justice, things won't endure. Sure, things might continue along on the road, but without that promise, without conviction in that promise, no true society will endure. The promise of Christ's judgment saves us from so many things, and you, could hurt, you heard in our epistle reading just one of the things that this promise of Christ's coming saves us from. St. Peter said that in the last days there will be scoffers who come with their scoffing. I want you to think about that this morning, the scoffers who come with their scoffing. Why is it that they scoff? Well, they scoff because they believe that Christ will never actually come back. And if you look at the words of that epistle again, you can see that they are scoffing because they think it's silly, right? They think it's silly to hope for Christ's justice. They think that will never happen. He will never come. After all, it's been how many years since Christ ascended into heaven? It's been 2,000 years. And you silly Christians, the scoffers say, you silly Christians, you think he will come? You think his justice will be done? You think his kingdom is coming? Look around you. And you have to admit that if you do look around, it makes you scratch your head. It makes you wonder, maybe there is something to their scoffing. After all, is Christ's will imposed? Do we even perform Christ's will perfectly in our own lives? When we look around at the society around us, isn't this one of our greatest longings and our greatest, I don't know, moments of despair? To see that Christ's law is not observed, to see that Christ's word is not hallowed, to see that Christ's name is not praised, and nothing happens because of it. So the scoffers scoff. And the Christians, well, they're not tempted to scoff so much, but we are tempted to give up. We are tempted to not scoff at the promise of Christ's return, but to suppose, well, it's just never coming around. And so apathy sets in. The promise of Christ's return comes to you today to keep you awake. The promise of Christ's return comes to you today to keep you alert. The promise of Christ's coming, the promise of his justice comes to you today so that you do not despair, so that the scoffers don't overwhelm you and you don't give in and say, well, I guess, you know, it really doesn't matter so much what we believe. It doesn't matter so much what we do. There is a danger to that, isn't there? And it's a danger that all of us face. It's a danger that all of us give into from time to time. Well, nobody really will notice. Nobody really will care. What I do doesn't really matter. What I say doesn't really matter. After all, does God really notice? Does he really care about me? Does he really see me? Sure, there are those promises in the Bible. Sure, the pastor proclaims it to me, but, you know, it's Wednesday morning and nobody's watching. It's Thursday afternoon and nobody's saying anything. It's Friday, and what difference does it all make? The promise of Christ's judgment saves you from that kind of scoffing and that kind of despair. For there is a promise here, if you can hear it. There is a promise, isn't there, that nothing will be forgotten, that no one will go unnoticed, but that, in fact, in the end, all will appear. And every one of your works, no matter how small and insignificant they seemed, every one of the sacrifices that you make for Christ will, in fact, be noticed. And not just noticed, but praised. 
Nobody likes to do things that go unnoticed, do they? Sure, I might do it a couple of times if nobody notices, but we all want to hear that praise. We all want to be commended for what we've done. We all want our dads to say, son, I'm proud of you, dear. I think you're the best. And when Christ returns, we won't hear exactly that, but we will hear his commendation. We will hear his praise for every one of our works, no matter how small and insignificant they may seem. So don't scoff. Don't give up. Don't despair, for this is a promise for you today. He is coming. And that promise of his judgment, that promise of his return, reveals to us also the goal, the end, towards which everything is headed. There is an end. There is a goal. We are not simply going around the sun forever and ever and ever and ever. Time is not a flat circle that just goes around and around and around. It is not just one boring thing after another. There is a goal that we are headed to, and he will see to it that he brings us to that goal. You heard Jesus speak of that goal in these Danielic terms, right? When the Son of Man appears, Jesus often does this. He speaks in the third person. And it seems kind of strange at first, right? Why doesn't he just say, I, when I return? But he says, when the Son of Man returns, so that you might connect the dots, so that you might draw together that when Jesus comes back, he is coming back not just as he was before, but he is coming as that Son of Man that Daniel saw. What was it that Daniel saw? He saw this glorious figure who brought in a kingdom, who brought in a dominion, who brought in glory, and not just temporary kingdoms and temporary glories, but who brought in an everlasting kingdom and everlasting glory. This is way better than any Western. This is way better than anything that Wyatt Earp could ever bring into those territories. This is the kingdom of Christ. When the Son of Man returns in all of his glory, then everyone will be brought to him. And then he will speak those words. See, there is a judgment that will take place. He will separate out the sheep from the goats, and even before, even before he mentions their works, he will divide them up. You see what that means? That means that even apart from your works, you are known by Jesus. Your faith is known to him. You are saved by faith, not by your works. But your works give testimony to that faith. And so he will speak to those on the right these wonderful words, Blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. Here is the end. Here is the goal towards which your whole life is pressing, an inheritance, the, the inheritance of that kingdom. It would be enough, I think, if Christ were to say, when I come back, I'm going to rule. But he says to each one of us, he says that you will rule with me. You will, after all, Jesus says, right, inherit the kingdom. You will take your place alongside of him. You will rule with Christ. And all of those things that he mentions will be noted. Now, it's kind of funny, isn't it, that the sheep and the goats both say the same thing. When did we see you? When did we minister to you? And then Christ mentions these things that apparently the sheep and the goats forgot they ever did. Not that they forgot they ever did, but they didn't realize the dignity of those works. When did we see you, Jesus? And Jesus says, whatsoever you did to the least of these, my brothers, I was there with them. I was there in them. I was there hidden in with and under my own precious people. I am with them always. And so when you serve them, you are in fact serving me. 
consider that. You are royalty. You are friends. You are brothers. You are sisters of the risen Lord Jesus. You share that honor. You share that dignity. And so when you serve one another, you are in fact serving Christ. Blessed be you by God the Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But there also comes a warning, doesn't there? For on the flip side, if we do not serve one another, if we do not love one another, we are forfeiting our love for Christ. Oh, if I could see Jesus, pastor, I would serve him. If I could see Jesus, I would take care of him. If I could see Jesus, then I would give him everything. I love him after all. Well, Jesus says, look, you can see me. Look, you can serve me. Look, you can have me. I am hidden in, with, and under my brothers. That term is sometimes applied to the apostles. When Jesus rose from the dead, he told Mary Magdalene, go and tell my brothers that I am risen. And so when you attend to the word of the apostles, when you hear the teaching of Christ's apostles, you are receiving his brothers. But it's also something that applies to each and every Christian. Whoever receives one of the least of these, Jesus says, in my name, speaking about little children, receives also me. See how Christ raises us up? See what honor he gives to each and every one of you. And even in your sufferings, see what honor he gives to you. For you do not ever suffer alone, but Christ suffers with you. And so you do not ever serve one another alone, right? As if I could just serve you. No, you serve also Christ in your neighbor. This is a great dignity and honor to our works, no matter how small and insignificant they seem. The promise of Christ's return, the promise of his judgment, calls us to action. That's the point in all of this. It calls us not to despair, not to scoff, but it calls us to confidence. To be, confidence about who, to be confident about who we are and what we are here to do. We are not those who are just wandering aimlessly through the world. We're not trying to figure it out as we go along. We're not trying to find ourselves and make our way and make the best of every moment. No, we are here by Christ's command. We are given this wonderful privilege by him to serve the king. So minister to one another as if you were ministering to Christ. When you come into church, right, you don't come and think, well, I guess I'll sort of half-heartedly sing this morning. You shouldn't. You should stand as if you're in the presence of a great king. And as you worship, so also should you live. When you go out from this place, it's not as if Jesus is confined to these four walls. Oh, I can't get out. He goes with you. And when your brothers and sisters in Christ have a need, as they always do, when you have a need, as we all do, then we serve one another and so also serve him. Nothing will be forgotten. Nothing will be wasted. Maybe that's the way we should end this morning. There's this great fear, isn't there, that we're wasting time, that we're wasting energy. I don't really want to do that. It's a waste. Well, Jesus says to you today that nothing will be forgotten. Nothing is wasted in his kingdom. No sacrifice, no matter how great or how small, no act of love, no matter how recognized by the world or not, none of it is wasted when it is done in faith. For Christ the King sees all. He is with us all. And when he comes back, then everything will be evident. Then everything will be opened up. Then justice will come. Then righteousness will come. And there won't be any doubt about it. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.